You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. Um, so we've been in a series on the first chapter of the Gospel of John. So what a gospel is, is just stories about Jesus, stories about Jesus, Christ's life, death, resurrection. So we're looking at one of four accounts, and that's John. So the Gospel of John is a biography about Jesus' life by one of Jesus' students, John. Um, as a bit of review, Michael mentioned in the first week that John starts his story about Jesus a bit differently than the three other accounts that you find in the Bible. Instead of starting at the beginning where Jesus is, or at the part where Jesus is born into the world, he starts the gospel by saying, in the beginning. Um, hearkening back to Genesis 1, where it talks about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes into the account of how God created um, human beings and his image and all of that. So when John starts his gospel, he is contextualizing the story of Jesus in the bigger narrative of scripture, which is in the very beginning, God was there, and he is the one who is creating. Um, he says that uh, Jesus was with God in the beginning of creation, and he says that he was God. So right away, um, you'll see it in, well, you'll see in the other gospels that um, those ideas unfold. But John is writing after all the other accounts and kind of going back and saying, we need to emphasize this part. Jesus was with God in the beginning. He was God, and he was in that relational, like he was in perfect relationship with God the Father, and he was a part of creation. Um, in the text, it says that uh, in the beginning was the word. So that's what the word that they use to describe Jesus. And Michael defined that as a thought or idea in the mind of God. So in the very beginning, Jesus was a thought or idea in the, in the mind of God. And so he was there from the very beginning of the world. Um, the second week, Matt Downey was here and she was discussing about, brought in the image of light, which is in the following verse, in the verses following that first part we looked at. And um, she discussed how John the Baptist, not to be confused with John who's writing, um, how he came in and he prepared the way for Jesus to come and he wasn't that light that they were looking for in the darkness. So he, she uses, or he uses the metaphor of life, light to contrast with the darkness that the world is experiencing. Um, but he came to prepare the way for the light. Um, so last Sunday, we took a break from this series, and Jay Lee, one of our friends, a uh, pastor in Toronto, uh, came and spoke about loving your neighbor as yourself, and you can listen to that um, online and also those first two talks to kind of give a context for what we're talking about today, if you're interested. Um, but we're just going to pick up today from where we left off in John. I'm going to take a moment to pray, and then we'll read the text from today. So Father, I thank you. I just thank you that you meet us where we're at. Thank you. Um, thank you for the ways that you have um, challenged me in this week to live out and discover and receive what this text is saying, God. Thank you for the ways that you meet us in the midst of darkness and chaos and, and the challenges we face in life, and your desire is to bring light into those places. And so I pray that 
your spirit would speak, Father, that I would move out of the way and that you would do what you want today. I pray for each person here. Thank you that it's not an accident. They're here, and I just ask that you would um, meet us in this place. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so let's read John 1, verse 9 to 13. Go ahead, Whitney. Next slide. All right. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So we're just going to unpack this scripture a bit. I'm, we're going to go through it. I'm going to share two stories in Matthew, and I'm going to share a little bit of my story as well. So can you go to the next slide? Okay. So two weeks ago, Matt spoke about the meaning of the word light in John. And one definition she gave was that light was divine illumination to reveal and impart life, especially through Christ. So it's kind of a wordy definition, but it's helpful to understand what John is saying about Jesus here. So the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So true light awakens us to see and understand life, according to this definition Matt shared with us, as it really is, and to receive life as it was intended to be. So um, what John is saying here is that that light, that illuminating light, where there is darkness, that was embodied in Jesus, that that light was coming into the world where darkness was very real and very present. So... We can read this scripture and, you know, whether you've been a Christian a long time or whether you're just here and you're not, you don't know Jesus yet, we can read this scripture and it just sounds like a lot of jargon. It seems like this kind of out there thought. Um, And we can miss what John is saying here. Um, But John sees that darkness is filling the world. He sees negativity, pain, sin, oppression. Um, And the people at the time when Jesus... um, came into the world and was embodied and came into the world as a human being, they were waiting for someone. They were waiting for a Messiah or a Savior to come and to deal with the darkness that they were facing. So for those of you sitting here in this room, um, some of you and some of us may feel the reality of the brokenness and darkness in the world more than others, and some of us might relate to what this message uh, is saying to us. And some of us might not really relate. Maybe everything's fine in your life and you're like, oh, I have a lot of light already and I don't really need it. But I think John starts here, or he continues here, I should say, um, because he wants to emphasize what, how important this is. Um, he's essentially saying that the answer, the remedy to all the darkness and all the brokenness was coming into the world. And as we heard last week, um, God and his plan, instead of just like revealing everything in a bang, which he could do, uh, revealing himself, he actually sends someone, John the Baptist, to prepare the way for this message. It's as if he, he's saying like, this is really a big deal and I'm going to prepare hearts for this because this is what you've been waiting for all your life and this is what you really need. So it's a really big deal. 
Um, and it's good news. It's, it's in fact the best news that anyone could ever receive. And as Michael and I were talking about this passage, we, he, I should say, came up with an illustration to emphasize the point. And he said that I could say that he said it because we thought it was a bit cheesy. So he's like, I'll take the blame on this one. <laughs> so, but I think I made it less cheesy, maybe. So um, imagine that today there was a worldwide health emergency. An unknown air toxin has been unleashed and is un infecting the majority of the world's population and numbers of people are becoming sick because of it and those numbers are increasing. So many people have already died and more are dying every day and people feel really, really hopeless. Then word starts spreading that there is someone who is not being affected by this toxin. And news outlets are reporting that there is a man who is shown to be immune to the toxin, and he is the only one. It is believed that by receiving this man's antibodies, and there is a cure, and you can become cured and also immune to this uh, toxin that's causing sickness all over the world. Um, so where people have been in the dark about what to do um, and how to overcome the sickness that's been all around them, the answer is finally here. So this is the kind of news that John is sharing. It's life-saving news. It's life-changing news. It's the news that those who would have been affected by the toxin or all the darkness in this world, that there is an answer and the response should be gratitude and joy. But John is setting up this part of the story to show the great sadness and also the injustice of Jesus' life. So go on to the next slide. So he was in the world. So he came into the world and he was in the world. And through, though the world was made through him, like he created the people, the world did not recognize him. So, yeah, so John says that Jesus was there. Although Jesus was there in the creation of the world, he was the plan in God's mind, the thought or the idea in God's mind. When he physically came into the world to offer hope, to offer illumination that people were looking for, in the offer the answer to the oppression and the dark circumstances that they were facing, many people didn't even recognize him. And many people missed him. So why was and why is Jesus often rec not recognized by the people around him? So in the minds of the people at that time, although they were waiting for a Messiah um, to save them, I don't think, or they didn't think that it would look the way that it did in the end. Um, I think they probably imagined that this Messiah who was going to come to save them out of oppression was going to take them out of all the circumstances they were facing. Um, it would probably look like dealing with the injustice and the oppression resulting because of the Roman Empire taking over all the Jewish territory and taking over their land. The Messiah's coming would obviously make this right politically. Um, they would probably, the Messiah would probably overthrow all the authorities and powers of the day um, and deal with the problem in a tangible way that made sense. Um, they had a hard time recognizing him because they expected it, uh, him to come in a very specific way. But we fall into this way of thought too. Um, we think that God coming looks like fixing all our problems, improving all our circumstances, changing our status according to the world's standards, or maybe 
on a bigger scale, changing every bit of suffering that is in the world. We often stop and ask ourselves, look at all this suffering in the world, look at all this suffering in my life, where is God? We don't see him, we don't recognize him. But instead of coming into the way that they expected, the one through whom the world was created entered the world in the form of a human baby, a refugee, a lower class peasant, a member of a conquered people, the son of a young mother and a day laborer father. So this weak entry into the world did not fit their expectations. They misunderstood what God was doing. So have you ever gone through times in your life where you missed Jesus? where you couldn't see where he was. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you're in a place like that right now, and you're like, I don't know where God is right now. So I'm just gonna share a little bit of my story. Um, so most of us go through times in our lives where we lose sight of Jesus or misunderstand what he's doing, or we go through our lives not knowing God, and we're like, mm, I don't think he's really here. Um, there was a pretty dark time in my own life where I lost sight of Jesus. And some of you know the story I'm going to share because uh, you were living here with me and while it happened and you saw it unfold. But some of you don't know me from those times, so I'll share a little bit of it. So just before my 30th birthday, I was looking at my life and I started to lose sight of where Jesus was. I had been working in vocational ministry, like one of the pastoral staff in this church, for about six years. And the thought started to creep into my head that I had wasted my life. And I had spent all of my life being wrapped up, all my 20s, wrapped up in the needs of others while not getting ahead in my own life. I was seeing my friends get married. I was seeing my friends have kids. I was seeing them buy homes, getting their lives together. And here I was, living with roommates, still unmarried, and giving my life to help other people. And I was like, what a waste. I had been a bridesmaid many times, not a bride, and probably like over 10 by then. Um, and I was nowhere near where I thought I should have been in life, according to my standards or according to the world's standards. I even had people who were Christians who, who were saying those things to me. They were like, well, what are you doing with your life? Where are you going? You should be investing into these things and you should be caring about making money for yourself. What are you doing? And so that thought started to permeate in my head. And I thought, I must have either screwed things up and missed the grand plan that God had for me, or maybe even I have been fooling myself this entire time in ministry. And this God that I thought I knew and who I was sharing with others, maybe he wasn't even real. So I'd stay up at night, unable to sleep, anxiously thinking about a new life plan to get myself back on track into the way that things were supposed to be, the right way. Um, and it usually looked like me thinking about how I was going to get a master's degree and get a real job. And, um, but as I looked at how much time I thought I'd wasted in my 20s, um, where you're supposed to be getting yourself ready for adulthood, I thought it was too late. And I started thinking that the only option for my life was to die. And I didn't go as far as having a plan for how I'd bring that about, but I had zero hope for my life. Now you might hear that now and realize how deceived I was, um, but as I look back now and realize, and I, as I look back now, I realize it too, but at the time that kind of extreme darkness was what I saw, that was my absolute reality that I was living in. 
I had lost sight in my beginning. I had lost sight of the fact that I was created being that God of a mighty strong God who was maybe bigger than those mistakes, but I just didn't know where I was going. And so what was the result? Uh, I got sent away on a sabbatical to Calgary to figure things out, to figure out my life. Uh, That's what I thought I was going for. Um, I joked and I said I thought I was being put on an exile. I was really humiliated because here I was helping lead in a church and I had screwed everything up to the point where I wasn't even sure if God was real. So that's kind of inconvenient when you're leading a church. (laughs) So I just felt a lot of shame. I was like, oh no, like what are all these people going to say? Like I'm probably going to lead everybody astray in the church because what if God actually still is real even though maybe he's not? But if he is, I'm going to ruin it for everybody was what I thought. So it's interesting because, yeah, I went into that time thinking, okay, I'm obviously off track and I'm not going where God's calling me to go. And now this is the punishment is I'm going on sabbatical and I've screwed everything up. So, but what's interesting is when we look at the biblical narrative, um, it's quite frequently the case that God comes in ways that we don't expect. And we talked a bit about how Jesus came as a baby. And, but he often comes in ways that those who are proud or those who are strong don't recognize him. So we're going to look at a little scripture in Matthew 25 that kind of illustrates where Jesus is um, in the midst of the world and the pain and the suffering we're in. So... Um, in this scripture, I'm not going to give big context, but he's just talking about the last days and, and when he's inviting his followers into a king, his kingdom. He said, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Next slide. Then the righteous, those who are in right relationship with God, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison, or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So what is this scripture saying? So he is saying that where, well, first of all, in this scripture, the people that are righteous didn't even see what they were doing. And so usually this scripture is used to explain how we need to be close to those who are poor and marginalized. But I think the point I want to make here is that those who are righteous didn't even know that this, like they were doing it, but they didn't even know that this is where Jesus was. And I think... um, What's tragic in our world is that we don't recognize God because sometimes we don't realize where he shows up. He shows up in those messed up, broken places with those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who need a drink, metaphorically or figuratively or, or in materially. Um, and this is where Jesus shows up. He says that, in fact, when, when you love those people and or if you are on the receiving end of that, you are being loved. You are close to the kingdom of God. You are close to Jesus. 
So the question is, can you recognize where Jesus is right now? Can you recognize him in the people in need around you? Uh, can you recognize him in your own brokenness in this place? Um, yeah, or have you lost sight of him? So Jesus is often misunderstood. So we're going to move on to the next slide, the next part of the scripture. It says, back in John 11, it says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So John continues by saying that Jesus even came in the form of the people who he was around. So he came as a baby to Jewish parents. He was a Jew in a Jewish area. He looked like the people. He spoke the language of the people. Um, but by the Jewish people, by and large, they rejected him as a heretic and saw him as unpure, mostly because he, or largely due to the fact that he, he spent time with sinners and prostitutes, those people, like tax collectors, the poor, those who by the religious Jews, they were not the people to go near. So he didn't fit their religious expectations of how God would come. He was just too ordinary. He, was, he grew up with them. He was the son of a carpenter. So they just didn't receive him. It just wasn't the way that they thought he would come. So others of us might fail to receive Jesus because um, things may have been done in Jesus' name um, that have misrepresented who he really is. So um, some of us have, uh, so maybe we're not in the place where, you know, we grew up in church or something like that, but some of us have uh, seen what the church has done and been quite, you've looked at the church and you've seen that it doesn't reflect love. It doesn't reflect light. In fact, it actually perpetuates darkness. It perpetuates oppression. It perpetuates the hurt and the pain that we see around us. And we look and we see, we say, okay, if that is where God is, I don't want to be a part of it. So maybe some of you are in that camp today. So there are many ways that people can reject instead of receive Jesus. We're going to look at another scripture that discusses how people um, who were his own people, going back to the first idea, um, still rejected him instead of received him. So Matthew 7, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, so this is the same day that they were talking about uh, in the first scripture. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? So prophesy is like to speak an encouragement over people and like to speak the truth of God to someone else. So didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons? So like for those of you who find demons weird, there is just oppression that people have, physical and, and spiritual manifestations of oppression. Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So again, um, I would say that the people that he's talking about in this scripture, although it's, he's now talking about those who, who uh, maybe think they're followers of Jesus, but um, so those who still were his own, the people he came to save, they're doing all these really great things. So maybe they are caring about the poor. Maybe they are caring about the marginalized. But 
This is taking it one step farther, is that they didn't know him, they, that they didn't enter into that intimate relationship with him, the kind of relationship that we talk about in the beginning of John, where Jesus is like close to the Father. So it was basically saying, like, you can also miss the point by trying to do all this stuff and think that, okay, well, I'm close to God. And what is the result? I can say that this is the camp that I end up in. And I think where I was at when I went on sabbatical, where I was doing all these great things, I thought, and then it just came up empty. I was exhausted. I was empty. I had lost sight of God, and I forgot who he was in my life. So it's really easy, and there are many ways to not recognize Jesus for who he is. And most of them surround uh, the fact that we, the way, who we see Jesus to be and our ideas about God are wrong. So either um, we've failed to not, we've not received the truth that, of who he is in our hearts, and maybe we've, it's because we've been modeled that, and maybe it's because we've just never seen it. We've never seen the good news of Christ. So, um, but there is good news on the other side of it, so let's go on to the next part of the scripture. It says, yet... To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So this kind of answers the question of what does it mean to receive Jesus? Or it starts to answer the question. So... Alrighty, here we go. Thank you. So, what does it mean to receive Jesus? So, to receive Jesus, it means to believe in him and to trust the true story about who he says he is. So, you know, John's writing this gospel account, and he's at the very beginning saying, this is what the story is actually about. And so to receive Jesus is to believe in him and to trust in him, to trust his reputation and his character, to trust the real story about who he is and what he did and what he promises to do, um, instead of being deceived by the story that our world is telling us. And so often we make our decision of how we want to interact in our relationship with God based not on the truth of the true story, but based on our experiences, based on our current circumstances. Um, and we repeat the same story that we see in the Garden of Eden, which is that in the beginning story in Genesis 1 that John is alluding to, where instead of trusting that God, who created the world and said it was good and then created human beings in his image to reflect to first be in relationship with him, and second, to reflect his image on the earth. Instead of that, we give in to the lie, which in the Genesis story uh, is personified as a serpent who comes and says, did God really say, like, is God actually all the good things that he said he was and that he did and that he proved through creating all these beautiful things? No, maybe he's not. And so, um, yeah, so we are duped into believing that lie. And, but what are we missing out on when we don't trust Jesus? 
Well, apparently, trusting, and according to this scripture, trusting and receiving Jesus gives us the right to become children of God. John clarifies that this right to become children of God is not because of natural descent. So it's not because you were born into a Christian family and your parents were Christians or um, you grew up in a culture where Christianity was prevalent. It's not because of that. Um, It's not because someone else chose for you to be Christian or because, um, yeah, again, that you grew up in that way. Um, We become children of God because God himself wanted to have us as children. So in that beginning, he already had a plan that, and that was his original plan, was that we would be his children, that we would be living in intimate, close relationship with a father who created the world, created us, and had a very significant plan. And we were a part of bringing about creation of new things into this earth. So... What's interesting about this scripture, it says that he gave people the right to become children of God. So it's as if John is saying and reminding us in the scripture that he is giving us a new start. When you think about the image of birth, it's the beginning of a human being's life. So he's giving us a chance to start over and to live life as we originally were intended to live in the beginning, as a dearly loved child of a loving father. And when you receive him, like, yeah, as you receive him, you get that right. Um, but what's interesting about a right, it, or the other scriptures say the authority, like this is our right, if we come to know him, is that those things need to be, just because you have the right to something doesn't mean that you experience it fully, right? So I was thinking about, you know, for example, the government of Canada gives us the right to have tax credits. So, you know, you can get tax credit for GST, QST, all of our taxes. But in order to actually receive that credit, we actually need to engage in the process of filling out the forms and saying, hey, I want this credit, right? So just because you have the right to something doesn't mean that you're going to receive it. It doesn't mean you automatically get it. Like, that's just not the reality. And I think intrinsic into what he's saying here is that it's about a relationship. So if you look at the beginning of the verse, people had that right, but they chose not to engage. They chose, or they just didn't recognize, they didn't receive. But if you do receive him, and if you do enter into that relationship, we can become children of God. So I'm going to go back to a bit of my story. Uh, and read a little bit from a journal entry I had written on my story. So, as I went on my sabbatical, I f- and um, yeah, I like I said, I thought it was about me figuring out my life. I thought, okay, I'm gonna. I've been so busy here. I need space to think, and I think that's how it was kind of spoken to me is like, you need some space to think and figure out your life. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, no, I wasn't. I was like, you're sending me on exile. You're really mean. And I'm not happy about this. That's the truth. Um, But as my sabbatical went on, I realized that my dissatisfaction was actually not about my job. It was not about my marital status or lack thereof. It was not about not having kids or my desires being fulfilled. My dissatisfaction came from the fact that I was really lost. Um, I'd stopped recognizing Jesus all around me, and I stopped receiving him. 
So yeah, I stumbled upon a journal entry from towards the end of my sabbatical, like five months in, and this is what it says. It says, I have been, I've spent five months running, receiving a little and then running again. I don't know how to receive parental encouragement and discipline, brotherly and sisterly love. I've always had to be the strong one, the one who is dishing it out. I realize the impact of losing a mom at 12. My mom died when I was 12. It runs really deep, and I thought I dealt with it. I have felt like a rebellious teenager. Everyone is giving me their cars, opening their homes, giving me food, pouring out time, energy, prayers, etc. And I have been running, hiding, rebelling, dodging accountability, and not receiving the gifts given to me. But today, something hit me. Maybe this season at Calgary, in my sabbatical, was less about me figuring out my life vocationally and more about me figuring out who I am, my identity as a daughter. So I think the thing that really changed for me on my sabbatical is that it took hitting rock bottom and being on the receiving end of what we talked about in, uh, I think, the first Matthew verse we looked at. I was needed to come to a place of being poor, of needing food, of being hungry spiritually, of reversing being in the place of power where I was the one sharing all the good news with everyone. I needed to receive the good news. And it's tragic because I'd been in ministry for six years and I had not yet received the reality of that good news. And so it was in that place of having to be sent to exile, you know, later I thought more about exile and how that's kind of the pattern of how God works in general. I was like, I don't know why I didn't clue in that, that to that part of the biblical story, but it was only in being in rock bottom. Like I remember going to counseling and having my counselor five months in saying, so we didn't get really far, did we? I'm like, oh crap, I suck. Like I was, this was the whole purpose of my sabbatical and I even screwed up my sabbatical. What is going on here? But, and I think that was where I was, he, I think he said that maybe a few weeks before I wrote this journal entry, but it was finally in that place where I realized, oh, now I see what God is doing. He's right here. He called me to this place. He called me to face the brokenness in my life. And he knew that if I didn't get to this place of rock bottom, my life, I would lose my life. Like, I would go on in life acting like everything was good. And I would be deceiving everyone. Thankfully, God, by his grace, he would he probably would deal with that too. But like, I wasn't living the gospel. I did, hadn't received it for myself, you know? And I think... Often, you know, I'm speaking now to those of you who maybe have struggled in church and looked at church and not seen God, I think that the problem is that people in ministry and people in church don't let themselves hit rock bottom. They don't let them, they think that, oh, the answer is that I need to hold my life together, that I need to fix the world's problems, when in fact, they have not admitted their own brokenness and that we are all on the same equal plane in this story, we are all children of God, and we are all lost kids that God's trying to find, that he really wants to draw back to himself. He wants to bring us back to that original story where we are in the garden with him, and it talks about how they were naked. They weren't ashamed. It was only when they listened to the serpent's lie that they even felt that emotion of shame. So it was in the sabbatical that I found Jesus for who he really is. And I finally entered into the 
beginning of becoming a children of God. So this is a process that I think this is the whole point, actually, of Jesus' invitation to follow him. He's like, come follow me. Are you willing to come follow me? And I will lead you into the same intimacy that I had with my father in the beginning. I want to show it to you. You don't know how to do this. But I do, and if you follow me, I'm going to show you the way into that place. And it's interesting, even this week, um, I came face to face with this. It's been really hard having Michael gone and feeling again like, oh, the world is on my shoulders. I have to care for the church. I have so many things. It's tax season. I'm still trying to figure out the administration stuff. I thought I was getting rid of that part of my job so I could focus on things. Now I'm being called to go fundraise for the, our organization. I'm like, oh, it's too much. And, you know, I got two, I was taking care of a friend's car and I got two uh, parking or two tickets because the car got towed twice this week in the snowstorm. Two $118 tickets in one week, just this past week. The last one was yesterday. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is exhausting and I can't do it. And then on the way here, it was really interesting because, you know, I. And this happens every time I need to speak. And it's so funny because every time I speak, there's usually new people here, which makes it even more humiliating when things don't look good, right? But for some reason, that happens. And so I'm driving here, and the road clo is closed, and Google Maps failed me and didn't tell me. Usually Google Maps tells me, but Montreal's so doing so much in construction, Siri and Google Maps can't even keep up. So I'm like driving towards the airport and trying to turn around, and then I found my way back. And then again, I'm turning around, like, it just, I wasn't getting here. And I was like, oh God. Finally, I just started laughing. I'm like, all right, God, I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here. You are bringing me back to the same place of me recognizing, Elena, those things, and God's saying, Elena, don't, those things don't matter. Who cares? Like, I'm taking care of your church. I'm taking care of you. And you need to chill out. <laughs> and so I was laughing on the way here. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm just going to get up here and you're going to have to do it because all the things I tried to do to prepare screwed up and I'm exhausted and I can't do it. God was like, you're exactly where I want you to be right now. You're going to be just fine. So I think that's the invitation for us today is are we going to be those who recognize and receive him even though he might not be coming in the way we expected? He may be coming into those broken places. He may be coming in by bringing us to the places of weakness in our lives where we thought, oh, I thought it was over this. He might be drawing us there. Maybe he's calling us to receive him in, for those of you who are doing pretty well, to go deeper and meet him in the place of like being there for someone else, someone who else who is maybe more tangibly feeling the brokenness of this world. Maybe he's calling you to receive him there and recognize him there instead of being apathetic and sitting in your comfortable place. Maybe he's calling you to that today. But regardless, Jesus' invitation is always to come follow him to where he is going. And that is usually not where we expect. It's usually in painful places and it's usually into the darkness so that he can be the light. He brings light into those places. That is where he's hanging out. So the right to become a child of God is ours. He, we don't need to work for it. He did that already through Jesus Christ. He took care of that side of it. We now have the right to become children of God. But the question is, will you receive that right? Will you receive 
the fact that you are a child of God? Will you turn back to him? And that is what, um, in the Bible, it talks about repentance. It's basically, I'm going this way. I'm going towards finding my security in my own strength, my my job, my work, how great I am, holding it all together. But actually, I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to go where Jesus is, which is into the brokenness, into the pain. And I'm going to trust that if I stay in this place, that he will resurrect me. He will lift me up. He will bring new life. He will allow me to be born into a new start. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.